You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, a faith community that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, listens deeply to where love is calling us next, and with humility, courage, and compassion, works to create a more just world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. morning. It's good to see each one of you. Each one of you. Welcome and welcome back to church. Let's rise. We start with a song. The hymn is This Little Light of Mine. I encourage the rhythm in your body to come alive right from the start. Let's go. One, two, one, two, three. Here we go. 
Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. Welcome to this time and space where in the universalist spirit of love and hope we give and receive and grow together. It is so good to be here together, to be wherever we are, joining in online, joining in as you're out walking the dog, daring to hope for a word of encouragement and love and care together. We begin today by saying thank you. Thank you to ourselves and each other for showing up. Thank you for making space, for bending time if you had to, for the encouragement and memory and hope that says it is worth it to push back against isolation and loneliness and move toward connection and wholeness, to be here for ourselves and for each other. Thank you to our ancestors, spiritual and familial, known and unknown to us, whose stories and scars, survival and strength, wisdom and resilience are a part of us now and always, ever present in our bodies and in our world. Thank you to the people present in the pew next to us or joining online. Thanks to those who are listening wherever they are, helping us remember together we are so much more than we are alone. Thank you to the poets and musicians, the storytellers and preachers. Thank you to the basket weavers and beauty bringers. Thank you to everyone who is so often behind the scenes, but who makes it all work for us all. Thank you to the Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt. Teacher, preacher, artist, scholar, theologian, pastor, and presidential candidate for our Unitarian Universalist Association, who is here to bring us a word of hope and connection today. Thank you to the sun that streams through the windows and the rain that has nourished the newly forming leaves. With gratitude, we say welcome to this community where we are loved exactly as we are, and we are loved too much to be allowed to stay this way. To this place where growth and change are expected, where transformation is part of the journey for each and every one of us and for our community as a whole. To this place where perfection is a misguided hope of the past and instead progress, transformation is our purpose. Here, we welcome ourselves and each other, and we remember to slow down if we can, to arrive fully here. So I invite you, if it is comfortable, to take a moment to ground into this time and place. Wherever you find yourself carving out this time separate from other time. For me, I am noticing my feet on the floor. I am noticing the places where my body is touching the pulpit. Maybe for you, it is the pew, the ground, the earth, wherever you are. A moment to slow down, to breathe on purpose, together remembering our connection. So together we breathe in and out. We breathe in 
and out. We breathe at our own pace, breathing in and breathing out. We remember that our inhale is the Earth's exhale, that our exhale is each other's inhale. We remember ourselves connected across time and place, that we are of the stars and of the Earth. From this place of connection, we light our chalice together. And Ada, I invite you to come forward and light our flame for us and for all of us to join in our chalice lighting words. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love and to help one another. I'm uh, wearing an acorn hat again. So, dear ones, this is, this is a story about understanding who you are. It is a story about understanding who you are and the potential that lies within you. It's about being willing to let go of who you think you are so that you can become who you are meant to be. Here's the story. Once upon a time, in a land not so far away, there was a community of acorns nestled at the foot of a grand old oak tree. Can you imagine that grand old oak tree? You can sort of imagine it right here. It was so big, it had branches reaching as wide as the chancel and limbs reaching up into the sky, branches touching and going past the ceiling of the sanctuary. Can you see it there? Since the citizens of this kingdom were modern, fully westernized acorns, they went about their life with a purposeful energy. And since they were responsible, enlightened citizens, they engaged in a lot of self-help courses and signed up for a lot of classes. <laughs> they were determined to learn a lot, to heal their past, to take good care of their little acorn bodies and grow stronger every day so that they could be their best selves. There were seminars called Getting All You Can Out of Your Shell. And who would you be without your nutty story? There were groups for acorns who had been bruised in their fall from the tree. There were spas for oiling and polishing those shells and various acornopathic therapies to enhance longevity and well-being. One day, in the midst of this community, there suddenly appeared a naughty little stranger, apparently dropped out of the blue by a passing bird, their cap was askew and barely attached, making an immediate negative impression on their fellow acorns. And to make things worse, crouched beneath the mighty oak tree, the stranger stammered out an unbelievable tale. We are that, 
We are that. That. We are that. Delusional thinking, obviously, the other acorns concluded. And they set out to prove it. So tell us, how would we become that tree, one asked. You might not believe this, but, but you have to go underground, and you have to let your shell crack open. No way, they said. That's ridiculous. Totally morbid, one responded. If that were true, we wouldn't even be acorns anymore. The acorns just could not believe that they were an oak tree. Despite all the courses they attended, the books they read, and a stranger telling them who they were at their core, they couldn't envision themselves as being anything different from what they already were. They thought being an acorn was the end of their story. Going into the ground and letting their shells crack open seemed like way too much of a risk. Why would they risk what they had, which most of the time felt good enough, and certainly safe enough for something that they could not even imagine? The stranger thought long and hard about this. They knew that ultimately, the acorns would have to take the risk themselves, that nobody could do that for them. But maybe, just maybe, they thought there was something that they could do to help spark their imagination and imagine something more than they knew right now. So the stranger told them this story. I come from a place not that far from here, a place where we take care of each other and polish our shells and learn just like you do. But we don't hide or trim the sprouts that start to peek out from under our caps as we grow the way that you do. We celebrate them and we decorate them, and when it's time, our family and our elders sit us down for a talk. That talk happened for me just a few weeks ago. My dads rolled with me out to our favorite sunny spot, and they told me that soon they would be going on a journey. We wouldn't be able to see and touch and talk with each other the same way we had up till now. And they wanted me to know that no matter where they were or what happened, our love would always be there with each other. I got scared. I didn't want them to go away. I liked things the way they were. We know it's scary, they said. All of us get scared sometimes, and most of us get really scared when things start to change, especially if we like them just fine the way they are. But here's the thing, they said. We want to tell you the truth so that one day you can make your own choices about how to live. Change is a part of life, they said. It's a sign of life and health. And things staying the same, well, that's a sign of stagnancy and death. 
We can move with and welcome change. We can even make room for it and help it. Or we can resist it, but change will happen anyway. When we choose to move with it, to lean into it, and to live, we get to be part of a great story that we can't fully know until it unfolds. Your papa and I are choosing to be part of that bigger story, even though it means losing some of the things we love, like being able to talk to and to touch and to see you and each other just as we are, because we trust that there is something more for you and for us. There's something we need to do and to be that's bigger than our individual lives, and we want to be part of it. Do you remember way back in the fall, Papa asked? Do you remember how the tall trees started dropping acorns all over the ground, and suddenly our community grew by two and then ten times? Do you remember how we welcomed your sibling Tess then? Did you ever wonder what the connection was? Why acorns that looked like us grew from those tall trees and then fell to the ground? Those tall trees are our ancestors. I know that that's hard to believe, but it's true. Those trees were once acorns like us. They grew out of the bodies of the trees that came before them, dropping to the ground as acorns when they were ready, caring for each other and forming families, welcoming in new acorns each season, and likely bustling around just like us for a time until they too had a choice to make. Thank goodness so many of them chose to let their sprouts grow, and when it was time to have a conversation just like this with the acorns that they loved. Then, when they were ready, those acorns would bury themselves deep in the ground and let their shells crack open so their sprouts could take root in the earth and reach toward the stars, offering shade where they grew, transforming exhales to inhales for all the earth so that we can have clean air to breathe and beauty to hear when the wind blows through the branches or the speckled sunlight to see when the light shines through the leaves. We are so grateful for our acorn ancestors that took that risk. Now, we're not quite ready to transform yet, the dads said, but we wanted you to know that next season, when the time is right, we will. And this season, we will be among the helpers, Papa and Daddy and you, if you feel ready, searching out the choicest places where our community members might take root in the ground and watching as their sprouts reach up, up, up as the days and the nights pass to become the tender tree trunks with little leaves that stretch up to the sun. I helped my dads this season, the stranger said, and I saw it, the green sprouts coming up from the earth. I wouldn't have believed it if they hadn't told me, if I hadn't experienced it for myself. And then I heard that you all were here, that there was a community of acorns just down the hill from us who didn't know. A community where this story and this truth got lost somehow. And the truth is that this world needs you. 
that this world needs you too. When you are ready, and if you want, to let your full selves come forward. We need all of the fresh air and speckled sunlight and music of wind through the trees that we can get. Our world is hurting, and you have shade to offer and songs to sing, carbon dioxide to transform into oxygen so that all of life can survive and thrive. So I'm here to tell you we all have a part to play. And believe it or not. Do you believe it? We are that. We are that. We are building a new way, feeling stronger every day. Can you say that with me? We are building a new way, feeling stronger every day. Rise with me. Let's sing the song. A one, two, a one, two, three, four. Building a new way. 
think a little deeper now into a bigger story in our bodies. Find a position that is comfortable for you no matter where you are joining us from. And if that means getting up to move or stretch, do it. If that means resting your eyes, that's okay. If that means just letting yourself be held by whatever it is that is holding you up, if you are in a pew, the pew, do that. Only you know how to let your body and your spirit arrive together. And notice the gift that is the sunshine. It's still there, right? It's sneaky this time of year. Let it warm your bones. Let the memory of sun warm your bones. Let the brightness sink into you. Receive that light and that warmth. Don't just notice it, but receive it as gift and blessing through your skin, into your muscles and bones, and your deepest tissue. Receive that fire as a blessing as we sit here in silence for a moment. In this posture of receiving, hear these words from Adrienne Marie Brown as a blessing. And remember, blessings are not always comfortable, but they are always necessary. Black boys in honor of Jordan Neely and so many more. Black boys should be allowed to lose their minds to make everyone uncomfortable carving out a place to stand, alive in spite of what happened to their mothers, black boys stoic and shady, hungry or houseless, grieving the soft life that pulsed inside them when they were sons. Black boys should be allowed to fall apart, to seek within themselves the secret flame they promised to hide, to move with grace, dancing, feeling our eyes, noticing their beauty, to know their breath is enough, their lives worth intervention. Black boys, wild, worried, precious, lift them up. Black boys seated first with inevitable heartbreak, grow beyond the confines of fear, the closet slats, the terror of being young, needing help, craving love. Black boys should be allowed to fail, to flail, to not know, to crash through one more night, one more ride. Black boys have earned the right 
to lose their minds and live. Hold that blessing in your bones now with the warmth and brightness of the sun. Let us sing now together. We move now from a posture of receiving to one of giving. This is the spiritual work. Let the alchemy of time and spirit and community move us from one to the other. This morning we have several ways to give. Beloved ushers, you can pause for just a moment. We have a couple other ways to give too. We get to offer a concrete blessing of our financial resources. We have an opportunity uh, to remind you of how you can offer your time, and we have a time of blessing. First, this morning our offering of financial resources goes to the National Bailout Collective. Every day, tens of thousands of people languish in jail simply because they cannot afford bail. Black people are over two times more likely to be arrested and once arrested, twice as likely to be caged before trial. Our LGBTQ and gender nonconforming families are targeted and caged at even more alarming rates and once in jail are significantly more likely to be sexually and physically abused. The National Bailout Collective coordinates the Mama's Day bailout, which you may have heard of, where they bail out as many black mamas and caregivers as they can so that they can spend Mother's Day with their families where they belong. Yes! So this is where our offering comes in. We have the opportunity now to give to help bail out black mamas and caregivers on time so they are home next Sunday for Mother's Day. So I encourage you to give boldly and generously when that time comes along and the ushers come down the aisles. 
You can also mobilize your time and energy to learn more about the systems that have created the bail system we live in. You can join a small group experience here at First Universalist, what is abolition and how can it free us? And you can find details about that small group offering in the liberal, it starts next week. We need two more people to make it go. I hope you will be one of those people. And finally, I wanna invite Reverend Dr. Sophia and Jen and Glenn Thomas to come forward here so we can actually see you all for this time as we offer the Reverend Dr. Sophia our blessing. And Jen, if you would represent all of us by placing a hand on Sophia's shoulder with consent. Um, and now let us warm up our prayer hands, channel all that sunshine and warmth and energy we just received and let it flow towards her outwards. Let us channel all of that power, all of that joy and love and fierceness on her journey as the sole candidate for the presidency of the UUA. And if you would like to offer a word, a single word <laughs> of blessing, upon her as well. Now is your opportunity to do so. We go with you in love, holding you through all that may come, believing there is a way we do not yet know yet, transforming us all with your presence. May it be so. Amen. Thank you. And now let us give, let us live as though it were possible to radically transform the world, as Angela Davis, Davis calls us to. And ushers, now is your cue mm -hmm. to receive our morning offering.
Our reading this morning comes from the poet Rupi Kaur. It is untitled. The year is done. I spread the past 365 days before me on the living room carpet. Here is the month I decided to shed everything not deeply connected to my dreams. The day I refused to be a victim to the self-pity. Here is the week I slept in the garden. The spring I wrung the self-doubt by its neck, hung your kindness up, took down the calendar. The week I danced so hard my heart learned to float above water again. The summer I unscrewed all the mirrors from their walls, no longer needed to see myself to feel seen, combed the weight out of my hair. I fold the good days up and place them in my back pocket for safekeeping, draw the match, cremate the unnecessary. The light of the fire warms my toes. I pour myself a glass of warm water to cleanse myself for January. Here I go, stronger and wiser into the new.
A little more than 20 years ago, I sat in the classroom with Buddhist environmental philosopher Joanna Macy. This was long before Star King School for the Ministry moved to Oakland, and long before I returned to Star King to serve as a professor at the institution which helped shape me into the kind of faithful person I suspected I might want to be. What I remember most about that afternoon was a real fear of looking foolish, of my own audacity, of taking on the trappings of a kind of knowing I knew I had no business pretending to. I found myself sitting cross-legged on a carpet trying to imagine what eagles might have to say about the state of the world. It was my first year of seminary and I really wanted to do well in Joanna Macy's class because it was the first one I had entered where I recognized anything at all on the first day. I had come out of a biology program when I entered seminary and while it felt like my classmates could easily speak the language of theology and religion, I was relieved to see a brain cell on the chalkboard that day. So here we were, it was later in the semester, and we had been in serious, challenging conversations about climate disruption and what it might mean to give all beings equal voice about our relationship to the earth and what most needed to be done. Macy calls this exercise the Council of All Beings. Have any of you participated in this work? Yeah. So it was the Council of All Beings, but let me tell you, she was serious that it was my responsibility to give eagles voice. She writes that the Council of All Beings is a communal ritual in which participants step aside from their human identity and speak on behalf of another life form a simple structure for spontaneous expression. It aims to heighten awareness of our interdependence with the living body of Earth and to strengthen our commitment to defend it. The ritual serves to help us acknowledge and give voice to the suffering of the world, and it serves in equal measure to help us experience the beauty and power of our interconnectedness with all of life. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Accountable, even? The problem for me was that sitting cross-legged on the carpet at Star King, all I could think of was DDT and the loss of eagles' habitats. I kept seeing the eagle on the US presidential seal in my mind, and I couldn't imagine what I might possibly have to say in the voice of an eagle as we discussed what must be done in the face of a kind of earthly struggle and environmental suffering that was caused primarily by my species, my identity that I was meant to set aside, and the extremes of which we were still learning to recognize in the world. I think about how badly I represented eagles that day, mostly because I now live in Maryland near Washington, D.C., and I actually get to see bald eagles in my neighborhood across the street from my house. They look a lot less presidential as juveniles. <laughs> and they seem much more powerful when they feed. But it was my professor's implacable expectation that we would wrestle with what we thought we knew about being human in the world long enough to set it aside for an hour, not to pretend to live life of another sacred being, but to listen hard enough 
to earth, to her peoples and what they were saying, that we just might imagine another way of being in the world. I don't think any of us was assigned the voice of an oak tree or even a humble acorn, but I imagine the oaks coming en masse to the council of all beings, sometimes like the Ents in The Lord of the Rings. Do you remember those giant tree-like beings who took care of the forest and took on the characteristics right of trees in Tolkien's writings? Ents are slow moving. They're methodical. They think through the implications of every word that they say. Now, I might not be able to actually speak for an oak tree, but imagining their needs helps me to slow down, to reflect, even when everything around me feels urgent. Imagining a conversation that makes room for the wisdom of oaks transforms what I think I know about working for justice. There's something inherently universalist in this practice that Macy called us to. It requires that we treat all forms of life as sacred, as valuable, and it refuses to allow the kind of spiritual bypass that I was desperate for that day, in that moment where I could maybe take refuge in my inability to really know another being's mind, especially given the differences in our brain function, and especially given the lack of shared communication between us. I can't possibly set aside my human wiring, I wanted to say, to which Dr. Macy would have said, the earth is in crisis. You must. You must. Our inherited tradition insists that we cannot be a faithful people unless we hold the value and worth of every person and every being at the center of our living. The love that we claim as the heart of universalism comes from a love ethic that is generally characterized as liberal Christian practice. Our tradition insists that we are defined as a people by the choices that we make and that at our best, connected to each other, we strive to make those choices based on compassion, care, responsibility, respect, justice, and more. Right? And so that not knowing, that worrying, that fear of looking foolish, or even the simple exhaustion of these days, even terror at times, they're not reason enough for turning away from the harms that are shaping everyday life. I'm not here to try to tell you that every moment of every day can be about the creation of justice in the world. I feel like I want to say that everywhere I go to organizers, teachers, caretakers, parents, everyone who is responsible for anyone in the world. Right? It's unsustainable. But neither can we turn away. Neither can we place the trappings of our tradition as replacements for what love asks of us in these times. It would be pretty easy for me. I would be comfortable as a former UU theology professor, worse, as a former preaching professor, to proclaim from the pulpit that we are a covenantal faith that is grounded in an ethic of love which calls us to powerful interconnection with one another. For all that this is true. But that everyday, honest 
messy, gritty universalism that keeps me up at night whispers to me, what are you willing to risk? You who believe that every life is valuable. You who choose to lean into joy that it might sustain you in the days when the very leaders of your nation seek to end the lives of those you hold holy. Who will you be as an envoy of love in the days yet to come? Who will we be? These troubling, transforming whispers begin to shape me, reshape me into new form. And I wonder what has been shaping you? What is shaping you in these days? Because we keep experiencing how in state after state after state, proposed legislation is seeking to limit the full life and thriving of whole ranges of people separated out by our identities, be we transgender or by POC, be we capable of giving birth or simply too young to vote gun proponents out of office. Every passing day, we bear witness to atrocities that encourage us to turn away. They do, we're human. They encourage us to turn away, to deny our power, to deny our voices and the voices of others, and to act in ways that contradict the teachings of our living tradition. And beloveds, we were already tired. Were you tired before this wave? This is hard to say, but it is not an accident that we are experiencing literally acts of evil in the public square, immoral attempts at control that are coming while we are still grieving the newly dead. It is not an accident. And while we strive still to find a way to make these long COVID days as equitable and just for as many members of our beloved communities as possible, and yet love is calling. Love is calling us to live our universalism boldly in days when that expected politeness of pretending at equality is no longer asked of our leaders in the public square. I find that frightening. But still, love, love shapes us into new being. The Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker, who is both a Methodist and a UU theologian, our former president at Star King School, she wrote an essay called After the Apocalypse, which I'll be honest with you, I read because I liked the after after the apocalypse, that through its reflection on religious liberalism speaks powerfully to the meaning of apocalyptic times right now. But in 1995, she writes, in our time, hope means not running away from the icy, hard ground of suffering, violence, injustice, or deceit. It means savoring the sweetness of human love. It means lighting the Sabbath candles, smelling the spices, and opening our hearts to the sources of refreshment and grace that are offered to us. Survival means reconstructing from the ruins of a world of hospitality. I'm sorry, survival means reconstructing from the ruins a world of hospitality and of peace. 
It means living as one of those who, as Adrian Rich says, with no extraordinary power, reconstitutes the world. The question, beloveds, is how might we best become carriers of the flame of our living tradition? I think we all know not to play with fire, but Oaks would remind us that fire itself brings new life in the forest. The cremation that Rupi Kaur spoke about in our morning reading is a fire that frees, that liberates, and it represents a kind of alchemy, a transformation that lies somewhere beyond our current knowing, yet lingers as close as breath ready to transform us to answer love's call. Parker wrote another essay called simply, Love First. She means that show up and love first, where she returns us to that love ethic that we inherited from our liberal Christian forebears. She says, loving our neighbor implicates us in loving the whole network of life. Science gives us photographs of the earth from space, and we can see we are one blue globe wreathed in clouds. We know the crust of the earth floats on a core of fire. We dwell in our cities and our towns on a living, breathing planet, transformed by fire, flowing waters, the exhalation of trees, and the inbreathing of animals, and this interconnectedness of all calls for wisdom and reverence. We cannot love after the fact and expect love to save life. Maybe in the end love will save us all, but it has a much better chance at the beginning. I think we need a council of all beings for life as we know it today and life as we will know it tomorrow and in the days to come. Not to take agency from those who have the right to speak for their own liberation, but instead to set our individualism aside for long enough to listen to what our collective salvation requires. To set that individualism aside long enough to benefit from the wisdom of the gathered whole. Beloveds, hear me when I tell you something we don't say often in UU congregations, which is that we do, in fact, need to be saved. Not from a doctrine of original sin or the idea that there is nothing we can do to be worthy of being saved by a distant God from on high. Remember, universalism teaches that there is nothing we can do that separates us from an all-embracing love however we understand that love to be calling us in our living. Universalism also teaches us that we actually save one another and that none can be saved while any remain unfree. So how might we be called to set aside what we think we've known for long enough to not only imagine new ways of being, but to catalyze the work that our liberation requires? How do we become carriers of a flame that burns with conviction and carry it anyway? A flame that strengthens us to carry forward teachings that may not, in fact, be realized in our lifetimes, but whose hopeful possibility grounds us for the journey ahead. A revealing flame whose alchemy turns our risking 
into our faith. If earth itself participated in a council of beings, we might be invited to experience wisdom in geological time. I can think of no greater fire carrier than the earth itself. And even with that thin crust of life floating atop molten flame, earth models for us again and again that every being in the system relies on every other and that we must attend to the whole interconnected network for the thriving of all. Beloveds, in these tenuous yet re-emergent days, let us hold tightly to a flame that burns. Let us risk showing up fully, boldly, for our values and the values that love requires. But mostly, let us hold fast to one another as we face the unknown. As Dr. Rideout reminded me this week, we can dwell in hardship and still stay together in community. In fact, we must. We must. May this community be a blessing. And may the call to transform together hold us when we might otherwise lose our way. May we remember to love first and through that love, both ordinary and extraordinary, may we reconstitute this world. Amen. Ashe. Blessed be. Let's sing. The hymn is 1028. 1028, the fire of commitment. One, two, three, four, five.
began our time with gratitude. Let us end our time with gratitude. Gratitude to Reverend Dr. Sophia for her message and her presence and her leadership. Gratitude for each other for being here. If you want to continue to connect after the service, if you're new or newish and want to learn more about this congregation and connect with each other, come on up or join us online for a place to start right after the service. Join members of our environmental justice team outside as we care for this bit of earth that is ours as we begin some spring cleanup of the grounds. And let us share in a blessing. As we go forth back into our worlds and work and life, may we be renewed by all that we have shared in this space. May you take this flame, the flame of our tradition, into your spirit in the way that best feeds you. And as you carry it into the world, as we carry it into the world, may we be a blessing, just as this tradition, this community, these connections bless us. Go in peace, beloveds. Amen. If you've been comforted or inspired by this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org donate to make your gift. We'd love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.